Hey, you're listening to Innovators Can Laugh, the fun startup podcast. I'm your host, Eric Melcher. On ICL, we interview an innovative entrepreneur in the European tech startup scene every week. My goal is to have my guests share their wisdom while having a little fun in the process. Now let's dive in. Hey, ICL fans. Today we're chatting with startup consultant Anna Bibikova. Anna is an introvert who built a successful business by flipping an idea on its head. By educating people about a culture they knew nothing about through food. And after a successful exit, Anna moved her family to Cyprus, where she's now consulting for startups. Anna has successfully grown her Twitter following to more than 5,000 followers in less than a year. If you're an introvert or want to better understand the introvert mindset, this is the episode for you. Let's dive in. Anna, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, Eric? I'm I'm pretty good, but I know you're doing much better than me because you're in Cyprus right now. And uh, you've got the water there. You've got the amazing weather. How long have you been living there? Let, let me see. I've been here since 2018. So it, it's pretty long time. Yeah, I actually came over to, to relocate my family to some very quiet place. And that's exactly what Cyprus is. You know, I always used to say that uh, Cyprus is perfect place to live when you are under eight or over 88. So it's, it's great <laughs> with little children. And when you want to retire, it's very quiet. It's very safe. Like the grand level, I, I have history of working here in 2007, 2009, I think. So for two years, yes. And I was impressed with non-existing grand level. So people just, you can't imagine that happening in the U.S., obviously, but even in many European countries as well, you just can leave your car opened on the street. You can leave the key inside. You can leave your cell phone in, your laptop, whatever. You can leave your wallet. And when you come in like two hours after, I don't know, yoga class or sitting in cafe with your friend, you will find all these things still there. So yeah, that's (laughs) how Cyprus used to be, at least in 2007. Now it's getting a bit, you know, different because, well, we had big immigration waves from Syria. And obviously when people are desperate, the the crime level always goes a little bit up. But still, in general, I believe it's much less than anywhere else I can think of. Okay. Now, who is the one who convinced who to move? Because you said you took your family there. Was it a joint decision between you and your husband? Or did you have to like persuade him? It kind of nudged him to make that move. You know, it's a tough question always because, I mean, in a, in a family, there is always someone who introduces the idea, right? But eventually it comes down to a joint decision because if one member of the family does not agree, it will not lead to anything, you know, useful and amazing and, and good experience to everyone. Because if one of the member of the family member does something against their will, they feel you know very pressed into something, pushed into something, and I, I, I'm I'm just against this kind of experience. I don't want to to press and push people into doing anything for me. So it's like always you know like a serene takeover. You have to convince people, you have to discuss it, you have to see all the upsides and downsides. And yes, it was maybe me who suggested to go to Cyprus specifically because I I had this experience of living here. So I knew exactly how does my safe place look like. But because we moved here for a reason, I was going through a very, very deep burnout. I was very depressed. I, I couldn't even, you know, wake up for days and I didn't eat anything. I lost maybe 10, 10% of my body weight because I was so burned out after building a big business before as a solo founder. And my husband, he saw all this happening to me and he realized that some change had to be introduced and he saw that there was no way for me to feel safe and, and you know and relax in the environment that we used to live in so it was a joint decision eventually he suggested that we should move somewhere and i suggested where exactly to okay how easy was it to make the transition there are they do they have like a a friendly visa situation for for digital nomads or for people just relocating there and purchasing property i mean what 
how, how easy it is, is, is it to move there? Well, basically, because both me and my husband, we are very unpopular now Russian passports and we, we are used to be Russian nationals. So it, it wasn't so easy for us to move somewhere in Europe and just go and stay and live there for how, however long we wish to. But in general, Cyprus was always very friendly for people like freelancers and remote workers. The only thing that we had to do is we had to prove that we have some, you know, income coming from the country of our origin and that this income would be enough to cover our annual expenses. For Cyprus, the amount is not you know, crazy big. It was in 2018, it was, we had to show maybe 18,000, like, like saved on our bank account. And we had to prove that we have some kind of job or a project lined up that we would be getting money from to, to cover our living expenses here. Yeah. And because I sold my business and my husband, he's a remote worker. So basically it was not so complicated for us. And in terms of, you know, some kind of emotional change, it was even easier because I've been traveling a lot all my life. I grew up in India, so I was born in Russia. But when I was nine years old, my parents um, went to work in India and they spent 11 years there. So that's exactly where I grew up, where I went to school and like developed as a personality probably. So when people ask me where are you from, it's it's a tough question for me because, you know, when you are born in one culture, but when you're being raised in another, especially in the culture that is not very similar to yours because you know i have lots of american friends who say okay i was born in like in poland or ukraine or nania or or somewhere but when i was little my parents moved to the u.s and now i consider myself to be an american and it doesn't make you surprised right it's it's a normal thing you you can see a person and they're american because they grew up here but when you say like a person like me, when I say I, I was born in Russia, but I, I moved to India when I was nine years old and I, I, I grew up there. Like, well, I can't say I'm an Indian, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it would sound very, very unexpected and it would raise lots of questions. So that's why the topic of digital nomadism in general is very important for me. I constantly think about it because I have this personal experience of analyzing who am I, what 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 constitutes me as a personality. And well, after that, I, after India, I traveled a lot. I, I, wor- I had an experience of working in the US, as I mentioned, in Cyprus, in Russia. So yeah, I mean, it, it's not complicated for me to move around because I don't feel attached to very specific location and there is not a single place in the world that I would like consider to be my my home that's that that is my home there where I always want to get to have rest to to you know to to refill my energy level there is nothing no location whatsoever in the world that I, I consider to be my home I believe it was a bit more complicated for my husband because he doesn't have this long experience of traveling. But in general, I mean, if you feel comfortable in your family, I think it's quite possible to make any relocation because you still bring this safe, safe bubble, this safe world with you. Because especially if you're a remote worker, right? If you work from home, you don't feel basically any giant change. And if you know the language, it's it doesn't make any difference. Okay. Okay. Well, let's jump into the topic of introverts because you, you, you actually have on your LinkedIn profile, something about introverts. And I know that you talk about it. I know you're a big advocate for it. You grew a $4 million business being an introvert. And I want to know something. What's an important truth about being an introvert that people might disagree with you, Anna? Oh my, there are so many myths, so many like totally false presumptions about introverted people that I, I don't want even to fight with them. I just, especially the sad thing is that many introverts really believe all these stories about them <laughs> and they trying to build their businesses, build their, you know, personalities, build their 
narratives about themselves based on totally false presumptions that other people tell them who they are. And they don't want or don't care to dive deeper into this subject because, you know, in many aspects, it's a bit scary to go deeper and understand who you really are, what your weaknesses and what your strengths are. Because if you know all that, you have to take responsibility. You have to take it to a step further, right? You are, it's always like a way out, maybe an excuse for many people when they close their eyes, when they, when they don't see the reality. And that's especially important in, in current circumstances that they say, I just didn't know that. Right. Or I, I believe a different thing. I believe different truths about myself or about my, my people like me. And when you start digging deeper, when you start reading something about that, who you really are and where, where your weaknesses are coming from, what's the other side of the weak, of these weaknesses or something that you believe to be your weakness, then you have to, to take responsibility. Then you have to be responsible that you make your, have to make your own choices. You have, can't rely on someone else to guide you throughout your life. And with introverts, there are so many things that we get wrong about them. I mean, for me, it, it, it started being a very important topic, I believe, in early childhood when I was, I remember constantly my parents who are much more extroverted than I am. They used to constantly push me and press me into interacting more. Uh -huh. They used to say, you have to go more out there. You have to make more friends. You will never be successful in your life if you don't make more friends, if you don't build these connections. And, you know, for, they, they used to be Soviet people, right? So uh, they even had very different mindsets back then. Uh, they maybe didn't think about networking, but still they understood that if you make friends, you'll get much more opportunities in life. And, uh, well, for me, it was very complicated because I constantly, as a child, I constantly felt betrayed. Because people who were supposed to protect me, who were supposed to create this safety bubble around me, they constantly trying to push me into doing something that I didn't want to do. And I constantly felt that they were harming me in some way. And I made this promise to myself that I would never do these kind of things to my kids. When I have children, I will, and if they're introverted, I will never push them into going out there and interacting. And guess what? <laughs> now I have two. And the little one is much more sociable, much more outgoing. But the elder one, eight-year-old, he's even more introverted than I used to be. And as a parent, on one hand, I have this, this promise to myself that I will not push him into doing anything. Uh -huh. But on the other hand, I have this parental responsibility. I have to like explain, I have to teach them somehow to embrace this part of yourself, right? And, and, and to maybe outline some possibilities that they might have in life and the choices that they will have to face eventually as introverted people. And I, I want to, I wanted to do it in a very, you know, calm way, in a very not, not, non pushy way mm -hmm. as introverts like to do. So that I, I came first, uh, like maybe a year and yeah, I, almost a year ago, I think I came up, uh, even less than a year, I came up with that idea of creating these visuals about imaginary character. It was a cat that got adopted as a pandemic pet and then the family who adopted the cat they, they after the lockdown is over they like want to push them the, the cat out and promise the cat that, that they will just give them back to the shelter so and obviously this kind of uncertainty turns the cat into from fluffy nice uh, and furry house pet into someone very sarcastic and introverted and very afraid of the future so because I, I'm an introvert and it's very hard for me to convey my feelings and emotions, I used this imaginary character to start conversations with my eight-year-old and, and I tried to create some visuals about very important topics inside and around introversion. And that's how I started digging deeper into this subject. I started reading a lot about it and I figured out that actually all my life successes, everything that I did great in my life, like closing 6 million euro deal with the Cyprus government in 2007, or building a business that 
actually grew very fast and was based on the on a very interesting, innovative idea of like educating people. We built this retail chain that was aimed around Asian grocery. There was a chain of Asian grocery stores. And uh, in, in all the countries that I've been to, Asian grocery stores target Asian community, right? Chinese markets sell to yeah. Chinese immigrants. That's how it is in the state. Korean markets are... Yeah, that's that's how it is. You know, in Europe, in, in, in the UK, like Indian stores have by like Indian community and they mostly sell to Indian community, but then eventually they start selling to everyone else. But our idea was totally different. It, it was, we flipped it from on, on its head and we tried to sell Thai and Chinese and Indian food to people who had nothing to do with Asian communities, who've never been to India, Thailand or China, but we wanted to bring this culture to people through food and to educate them about Indian and Asian culture in general, telling the story, the food stories, telling them the, the history of food and explaining them how they can get the deeper insights into Asian culture is just testing and cooking Asian food. So even the idea to build this business, it all came down, it can be all distilled down to me being an introvert. So all the great things that I did in my life, I did it because I was a, I'm an introvert. And yeah, I mean, that, that's the, the, the things that I started understanding about myself as well. And that's how I eventually came down to the idea of maybe writing a book to people, to founders and business owners who are just like me, who feel sick even about when thinking about doing cold outreach, sending the emails, closing the deals, you know, talking, having public speaking experiences, and there's so many people like me. I'm trying to convey my experience and everything that, that I found out, the things that they should embrace about themselves, they should understand about themselves and build upon this to get to where they want to be that we can actually be perfect salespeople. We can do marketing even better than extroverted marketers because we have this character side that more outgoing people actually lack. And the fact that what introverted people feel very overwhelmed about socializing is not because we can't read social cues. The fact is that we read too much of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> They're very sensitive to external external experiences. We are very, you know, responsive to everything that's going on around. And we try to absorb and process too much of this information. And eventually it just overwhelms us. We just can't <laughs> deal with it too long. So that's why if you, if you learn to time box this, if you learn to keep more fo the conversation more focused when you when you shift your attention from trying to read the whole room and go to the party uh, and trying to interact with everyone instead of you try to interact with one person in the whole room and try to read their social cues uh, and engage with them it creates and it makes the experience much more enjoyable and, and you can endure it much longer so that's the, the truth about introverted people that many of us don't understand. And that actually we are very good in, uh, because we are so great in reading social cues and actually reading people and understanding them and getting more insights by much better listeners, for example, than extroverted people. And, you know, there have been so many studies run that if you put, you know, extroverted people with introverted people and introverted people with introverted people introverted people in all peers they manage to get much more insights yeah and extroverted people feel much much better about themselves yeah. when they're paired with introverted people because they feel they're they're actually listened to that another that 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 their counterpart is not waiting for this five minute yeah. gap when they can can start talking about themselves. Yeah. <laughs> they actually listen to what the other party is saying and you know, offering very relevant, very insightful feedback to the conversation. And as a result, extroverted people tend to open up much more and they switch from this, you know, chit chat style of conversation extroverted people used to have to more deeper conversation. They switch to deeper topics. 
they switch to, you know, much, much more memorable, actually, things. Because we can have this small back and forth and here and there, but we always tend to remember memorable, deep conversations that we have with selected people. And that's where we, as introverts, we are really great. We can offer this ability to listen. We can offer this ability to provide very insightful and relevant feedback. And that actually makes extroverted people much more comfortable. Let's talk a- having conversations with Let's us. talk about this engagement because you've had phenomenal success on Twitter. I think you've only been on Twitter about a year and you've already got more than 5,000 followers. Now, was engaging with people on Twitter something that you had to cultivate over time? Did it take you a while to get used to that, to get out of your comfort? Yeah, that's a good question. It's actually, again, it's very much about like the, the secrets, not the secrets, the insights of the, of the nature of introversion. So again, very fast, I realized that, you know, engaging on Twitter a lot made me very overwhelmed. I started feeling very, like every single day, just trying to, to grow my presence there, trying to put out more content or get more likes and, and retweets and responses, more impressions on my content. I, I, and because I didn't get anything in the beginning. You know, it's tough for everyone when we go on any social media and we have like zero, zero followers, we don't start getting engagement from the one because if you're not a celebrity, if you can't bring your audience, say from YouTube, from other platform of your, your lots of friends that you have in real life to one specific platform, you don't get anything. When you start with zero, you just get this zero, 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 zero for, for, for days and yeah, days. Yeah. And, you know, I remember well, when I started thinking of Twitter, I got this book. I don't even remember the author, but it was, it was so, you know, it gave me just zero value because it was something like I grew my Instagram following and um, from zero to one million in, in like 100 days. And I was very curious for like how this person did it because I personally had an experience of growing like branded community on Facebook and Instagram when I was running this retail business. And we had one 10,000 followers on Facebook and I had about 200,000 on, on Instagram, but it was not my personal pages. It was the, the business page, the community page. And I also get tons of, you know, business related insights from that experience because the Facebook community was built around the idea. So we tried to get more people. So it was the club of Asian food, food lovers. So it was the, the, commu- the, the, the community built on the idea, around the idea. And the Instagram community was totally branded. It was all around the, the retail brand. So people who joined the Instagram community, they, they knew where they going into, they, they were ready for promotions and coupon codes and, and, and like us trying to sell them some products, but on Facebook, and that's why the Instagram community grew very slowly. The Facebook community grew very fast. So people just loved joining in, but they were very much against any promotion because come on, they joined as Asian coupon companies. They were not ready for any coupon codes. They didn't want us. They didn't want being sold to. So it was very useful experience in terms of, you know, using social media platforms to grow the business. It was very useful experience then, but I've never had this experience of growing my personal brand, my personal audience anywhere. So when I, when I started thinking of it, I chose this just out of the blue, no one recommended it to me. I just started, you know, browsing internet and I landed on this, on this title first and I just started reading it. And the guy who explained how he grew his presence on Instagram in 100 days from zero to 1 million. And guess what? He had friends on Instagram who had 10 million followers and they just, he started interacting with these friends and and he started asking these people, can you refer some of your followers to my page? And that's what they did. And that's how he ended having 1 million followers on Instagram. And it was, you know, so zero value to me because I didn't have this 10 million follower friends. And I could not use this top, this tactic to grow my, my Twitter presence. So I started with the obvious things that 
theme. Don't bless it with to me. I started tweeting, putting out more valuable content, and it didn't work. Nothing. I, I had no no impressions. People did not follow me in return. And that's when I started thinking maybe it's all useless. I don't want to do it anymore. It doesn't work. And yeah, that's that's when realized I realized that like everyone and introverts, especially, we need these little wins. We need them like from day one. If we don't see any progress, if we see this overwhelming goal ahead, like I want 10,000 followers in one year. You start realizing very fast that you're not getting there and you lose all the interest, all the motivation. And when you're getting this little win, you, you it keeps you consistent. So I had to figure out how to get these little wins and that trying to get to these 10,000 followers. I instead started following people who I felt were interesting yeah. to me. So I, I realized that maybe I don't have to, to focus my attention on this 10,000 followers. Maybe I have to focus my attention on this specific person who I admire and respect and who I like. And I like engaging with that content. Maybe my goal for the next months will be to make this person follow me back <laughs> because they will realize I'm such an interesting, you know, counterpart. I'm an interesting person. I can put out some interesting ideas and thoughts. And that would actually start, started keeping me consistent. So I started finding these little germs, these little, these little accounts, people who did not have like, and somehow I realized that people who have huge following, like 200,000, millions, of, they're not actually so interesting. Okay, I like them, I, I, I admire them, but I don't want them to follow right. me back because I don't want to interact with them on this personal level. And people who actually engage with the audience, who like have maybe... 500 or 5,000, or maybe who actually have something to offer. And I really admire them on very personal level. I want them to follow me back. And I realize that it's totally doable. Doable. I can, I can do it even in, in two weeks or, or three weeks. I can start engaging with their content and I start, can start commenting on their posts in a very valuable way, bring some kind of different angle to their perspective. And they started replying me and eventually they started following me in return. And that's what kept me so inspired, so engaged and motivated. So that was step number one, my, my first stage on being on Twitter to, to, to motivate myself to be consistent without getting any, you know, right. huge results or maybe changing my perspective on what, how does success look like? So when I realized that success is not getting to 10,000 followers in like in six months, that success is like getting these small wins that are very valuable to me. I realized that I can do it. I can do it. I can show up every day and it kept me motivated. Then the next step very hard for me was when I actually started growing there and people started engaging with my content and I lost this focus. I could not interact with people who I liked anymore. I spend like two, three, or maybe four hours on Twitter just replying to comments on my <laughs> own tweets. And that totally kept me drained because I, I could not, you know, I, I started feeling that I, I don't, do, I'm not doing anything valuable right. there. I'm just replying, replying and replying and replying. Even, you know, with, because when you have like, 200, 300 comments on your tweet, you can't reply with anything valuable. The only reply you can manage is just put an emoji or like totally, you know, meaningless comment like, okay, thank you for your feedback or yeah, I agree yeah. or stuff like that. And it's very, it's very, very draining. And that's where I get to another insight that for introverts, we can only interact with other people and make ourselves socialize only if we feel that we're, we're, we're creating value. Only if we feel that we have very specific and valuable goals for us, that, that we're making an impact. Even if we start growing this social presence, if we, if we start getting this revenue and customers piling up, 
but we'll lose this sensation for creating an impact, creating a value. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything for us. We start getting to this energy draining level when we're very close to burnout and we start losing our motivation. So when I exactly when I started growing my social presence, you know, people started commenting and following me and like sharing my tweets. I started losing the motivation and focus and I started feeling horrible about myself because I started feeling I don't create any more yeah. value. So that's another very important thing about introverts. We have to feel we are contributing to some very, very important, important goal for us that we are creating this value for us, for someone else, but it's something very meaningful. If we feel that we are draining into this meaningless, you know, routine, day-to-day stuff, and we are pushed into something that we don't like doing, if it makes us popular and, you know, engaging, and it actually gets us to the initial goal that we used to have in terms of revenue, customers, of audience building, it doesn't help. Eventually, like very fast, actually, you will start losing motivation and we start losing focus uh, and we're ruining the whole thing. So that was stage number two for me to find box and to focus my attention on keep myself engaging with people that I admire and like and, and creating focus and creating value instead of wasting my time on just meaningless commenting right, right, on someone right. else's uh, replies. So the, the, sex, the second stage again was changing about the, my schedule and perspective. Now I'm on, on stage number three, where I'm trying to figure out, realize that again, building a big community is not something that I want to do. What I really want to do is try to build an engaging community and people who I resonate with, who I feel comfortable with, and who actually would provide me very deep insights into what they want to get from me in return. Because when you have this very huge follower following, like hundreds and thousands of people, they are very diverse. You can't focus your attention on something specific and you can't actually create something meaningful for right. all these people because they all have very different requirements. What I'm trying to do is to build a very focused following people who like what I like and people who resonate with me on a very, very deep level on around very specific subjects like introversion, startups, and, and again, creating meaningful things. If, if there are people who follow me and who expect to get something different from me, I know that I wouldn't be able to provide them this value. So it's better if they don't follow <laughs> me. I don't want them <laughs> among my audience because I don't want to disappoint yeah. them. I don't want to give them a promise that I don't, I won't be able to deliver at home. So uh, again, it's a very much a question of quality versus quantity. So I believe that's the third stage for me. I know how, uh, I'm going to see how. Okay. I, yeah. So what's an interesting project that you're working on right now? Yeah, I'm also working aside from the book that I'm writing that I actually mentioned to you. And you know what? Yesterday, it was a very interesting day for me because I kind of validated this idea of the book. I, I, I figured, I guess, that if I convince at least 20 people to invest the whole workday into reading this book and commenting, if I convince at least 20 people to be my beta readers, and it's actually, it's, it's a commitment, you know, you have to, <laughs> you have to commit the whole workday of your time to read and command a book of a total stranger. Why would someone want to do it? Only if this topic, they, they, they consider this topic to be important enough. And I just put this shout out on Twitter and on Reddit in like in 12 hours, I got wow. 35 people <laughs> who signed up to be my beta reader. So it's not monetary commitment, but it's time commitment. And you know, it, for many people, especially for me, time commitment, it's, it's more important than monetary. I'm always eager, you know, to support some founder with 20, 10, even 50 bucks. But if they ask me to commit my whole work day, I will start oh, thinking yeah. about it <laughs> because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's something that's much more valuable for Absolutely. me time 
versus money. Because I know that during the whole workday, I, I can make much more than, you know, 10 or 50 bucks that I, I would be able to use to support some some founder. Yeah, and I, I got these 25 signups. So I guess I was <laughs> writing this book and I have the whole process lined up with Bill every day. I, I, I'm approaching this book very much as a product because the product you have to understand the very specific audience you're selling this this product to and you have to understand the end game what they want to do with your with your product with your service so if you think i want to build a, a web converter you know these things that are growing very popular like from Notion to web, from Google Sheets to web, from uh, like tools that take your content that uh -huh. create somewhere on your device and, and then you convert it to, to the web, to a website that you can sell access to or provide access to. So these products are getting very popular. If you start thinking, I want to create a web converter for people to 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 get their content online, it doesn't work because you you have no insight, you have no understanding who these people are exactly, why do they want to, to convert their content yeah. to, to web? Because say, let's say a person who wants to monetize this con content directly, like to pay wallet and uh, to sell access to the community or some readers to their content, they would need totally different features than people who would use this content as a top of the funnel. like for SEO purposes, right? Or to, you know, get some people as a lead magnet or just grow their personal brand online. They, they would need totally different features. They would not, they wouldn't need this, you know, I want to pay for it, but as a part of that. So understanding who these people are exactly and what their end goal is very important to create, even to craft the product. And how are you going to think about marketing it? So if it's people who want to monetize this content, you would go to specific subreddits to talk to them and interact and understand what exactly they expecting from it. And if you want to, people who would use it at the top of the panel, they, you can use Twitter, you can use Facebook, you can use, you know, Google ads to get, and then you would use very specific words in your copy to get their attention, right? Because if you promise about monetizing, if you promise is built around monetizing, it's one sort of copy. And if your promise is built around, you know, generations, for example, certain different copy, you can't, you just can't build your marketing campaign for totally different audience. So, and I figured out, I'll do the same with my book. So my book is very specific. It's about how to use your introversion, the introverted aspects of you to actually build better in sales and marketing and building your audience. And this book is very specifically for solopreneurs and, uh, like, yeah. and business owners. So it's not for, I don't know, artists, content creators, or just moms. That's experience I, can I can't resonate with. I can't offer them the insight that my own experiences right. and my own lessons learned because that's that's not what the book is about. So I want to be very specific about my product building and marketing. And yeah, the second project that I'm working on right now is the the website. It's called Wizen Guides. And it's again focused on pretty much the same audience, you know, aside from maybe introverted part. It's for bootstrap founders and Basically, you know, the, my, my initial motivation to partner up with another founder, the US-based founder, we partner up together to build this website. It's a go-to resource for bootstrap founders that they can use to learn everything from zero to, you know, to their first hundreds of users, paying users. So it's about how to interview customers, how to launch the product and product hunt how to improve your conversion rate on the free users to paid users. And the most important thing is that we were not, there are many resources like this, to be honest. Many of them are mostly built to, when you land on their pages, you, you can see immediately that they're very SEO focused. So some company that is selling services, 
like, I don't know, marketing services or lead generation services, or they, 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 they will help you with building your Google Ads campaign. And they want you to, to come to their page and to read their articles and to, you know, start feeling trust, start having this, build this sense of trust into them because they, they're someone for educating them on this subject. And so many of these resources are very aligned to very specific brands. And you see the end goal. The end goal is to you eventually buy their services. Other type of resources that purely educational, they are not connected to any specific brand. They're very outdated. <laughs> they're very, you know, theory-based. There are no specific use cases. Or the, the, the case studies that build upon are very totally irrelevant. So they're about startup industry, but they're about companies like Dropbox yeah. or Google or Apple. And it's, it's, it, makes, it makes total sense because these big companies, they have PR departments who go out there and write these case studies to be published everywhere on the internet because they want more shout outs for their brands. And for small companies, these solo founders or like, you know, two co-founders, they right. don't have this PR department who would create these case studies about their, their brand, about their startup, because they don't have time for that. They, they're too busy trying to, you know, solve their customer problems, running Google campaigns and improving their product and doing onboarding and stuff like that. So they just don't have time for that. We're trying to combine the educational part, like no connection with any brand. We're not trying to sell anything to these founders. And on the other hand, we are trying to bring very, very relevant and very up-to-date case studies about bootstrap founders, very small companies who don't have this, you know, 6 million to invest yeah. into user acquisition, like Dropbox, for example, who have maybe... <laughs> 200 bucks or maximum 1,000 euro to run the whole, yep. the whole marketing campaign. So what actually tools are available to these sort of founders and how they should think about marketing, about building product and how converting proper onboarding processes. So that's the last guide where the, the latest one that we published on actually converting free users into paid users. And I, I just love it so much myself. <laughs> I'm very proud of it. They're very relevant case studies from the founders I talked to. And the best thing, you know, it's not you, you your classical success stories. Like I went from zero to two million in 10 days. There are founders who are still struggling with solving this problem. And I, I can record their ways of thinking, their ways of trying to solve this problem. And that's, I think it's very relevant to every founder. It's not some kind of very, very maybe artificial, a little bit fake and, and this recipe success recipe where time has cut down all the sharp the sharp angles right you just present the world this brilliant overnight success like you went from zero to somewhere in very short period of time it never happens like this so i'm proud of being you know someone who records all the thinking process all the struggles that founders are actually going through and um, they maybe will come back to this experience when they they get to this to this top okay. point of their business yeah um, and uh, so yeah initially for me it was a desire to keep updated to not to go lazy as a marketer because i mentor a lot startup founders i volunteer a lot as a consultant as a mentor and you know we always go lazy eventually you don't want to keep yourself updated you, you know some certain things you used to read something you used to work in the industry but then, because you, you get overwhelmed with, with your daily routine as an educator, maybe <clears throat> you don't have, you don't time box this specific time for right. improving your own level, keeping yourself up to date in, on certain topics. And uh, yeah, you maybe follow some people on Twitter and LinkedIn uh, and you, you feel like, okay, I, I more or less can understand where the trends are going to, but you don't dive deeper into specific topics. And you know, having these conversations with founders, it, it helps me to keep myself up to date as an educator, as a mentor uh, and as a coach. I, it's one, one, one side of 
motivation that made me thinking of partnering with Anthony about this project. And the second side is I actually, because I actually met mostly to founders who are located in the Eastern Europe and Middle East. And you know, founders from company, uh, from countries like Iraq, they, they just don't have access to all this fancy environment that founders from the U.S. have. And in most cases, these founders, even if they are, if they raise, they eventually have to seek and act mostly mm-hmm. as bootstrap founders because they don't have access to all these resources. They don't have access to, you know, they can't think, okay, I will raise now, then maybe I will last for another six months. And this is my uh, virtual rate and I will last another six months and that I, I will get another round. They don't, mostly they don't have this kind of environment there. They, they don't, don't have this mindset and they don't have, they don't have these opportunities. In most cases, even if they raise, they have to show some kind of profitability and they have to use very limited resources. Like they get 10,000 checks and they have to last for maybe a year with it. And they have access to very limited resources, but even most of them actually want to cater to global audiences. They want to sell their products to European customers, to the US-based customers. And so they have to compete with companies that are located in other sides of the world and who have access to more resources than they do. So they have to be more creative about their tactics and strategies. Yeah, and, and, uh, I used to have this, you know, 10, 15 meetings a day. And again, it was very tiresome for me. And, and, and these founders, they asked me very basic questions like, how do I interview my customers? How I do, what questions should I ask to validate my idea? What is product hunt? How do I, how can I launch on product hunt? So, and it was very tiresome for me to go through the motions again and again and again, asking, answering the same questions like, during 10 meetings through the day. And so I, I was started thinking of maybe having some kind of go-to resource where they can, I just provide them a link, they go there, they read it. And then I say, okay, if you have very specific questions about uh-huh. your very specific product, don't ask me the basics, go there and read it all through, but then get back to me and let's schedule a meeting where we can craft everything that you learned around your specific product, you will offer me the ideas and I will be the one who provides you the feedback and maybe guide you a little bit, making it more smooth, more actionable based on the experience that I have. So let's let's make it this way. Don't make me do all the heavy lifting. I, I, I'm not the one who's going to build a startup for you. <laughs> You're the one who is going to do it. I can only mentor you. And being a mentor means actually providing the feedback more than, 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 than teaching you how yeah. to like, use a fork and spoon. So that was my initial idea. And that's how I'm trying to build a wise and guide for, for bootstrap founders based in countries that have more resources and maybe even busy back to our founders and the countries that don't have this fancy yeah. well-developed. Okay, you know, last question fund. for you. And this is just kind of a fun question. Just kind of get an idea of your personality here. <clears throat> Try to answer this in just one sentence. If you were writing a guide, if you were writing a guide for wealth and happiness, what one tip would you include? Oh, that's a tough one because, you know, in my, in my history, I had totally different definition of wealth and happiness. If you asked me, say, six years ago, I would definitely tell you about, uh-huh. you know, being active, building your business, being independent, like knowing where you're going to and having a very specific plan. How are you going to get there? So that that was me like 10 years ago, having a plan and following it step by step and iterating on, on every stage, trying to get the feedback and, and improving your actions based on the feedback you're getting. Maybe for me, it's more about, you know, first, before starting doing anything about building something, try to figure out your limits, like what you what your limits are and how far you will be able to go to get to the point where you want to go. So try to understand, to time box everything throughout your day and try to understand 
what are the boundaries you are not able to overstep? Like, okay, so building a building wealth and, and happiness, it's defining wealth and happiness. Then that would be about step number one. But what will we, will you be able to, uh, to see it? <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting tired. What you will be able to lose in your life, right? What you will, you will be able Sacrifice to... Sacrifice for it. A good yeah. word. Yeah, sacrifice. Yeah, sorry. How, what you will be able to sacrifice in order to get this well somehow? Because eventually you will understand that you can get everything. There is always a balance and, and there will, there will always be a trade-off. So what part of your life will be this, this boundary that you will not be able to cross and in order to be happy? What matter of your life is this limit you will be you won't be able to cross to to build your wealth upon? So I think for me now it, it, it's more about building your limits, understanding okay. your limits. Thank you so much, Ada. Where can people go to learn more about you and the book that you're working on? Well, I have a very I have a very empty Twitter account. It's no tech. Anna. It's very easy to find me there. Oh, Anna Bibikova. Also LinkedIn. Again, my first name and last name, Anna Bibikova. I'm pretty active there too. I have a website, my personal website as well. It's aspiringfounder.com where I have my, you know, my, my whole story and all my projects okay. that I, I'm actually working on. All right. Thank so you so much for being on the show, that, Anna. It. For everybody listening, uh, join us next week as we have another guest based in the European scene. And Anna, how do you say goodbye in Cyprus? I, I have no idea. I'm just wondering, what's the site off there? Uh, you know, they, they, I'm not sure. Maybe this, this, this is, it, is it in many other European languages as well? But basically in Cyprus, people say Calimera or stuff like that. It's the same thing that they have. Okay. In the, it's the same thing as greeting, like have a good day. So it's basically the same story. When when you meet someone and when you when you right, say like someone, you wish all the best. <laughs> same to you, Eric. Thank you for having me. What an interesting conversation with Anna. She's probably the most extroverted introvert I've ever met. I like how her explanation on why introverts can make better marketers and salespeople than extroverts. Also, it was really interesting to hear how introverts tend to get overwhelmed when socializing, but not because they can't read social cues, but that they read too much of them. I've included links from this show in the ICO website and newsletter. It's number 56. As always, thanks for listening. Keep hustling out there. This is Eric signing off. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, I'd really appreciate it if you could give us a review and star rating. Also, don't forget to sign up for the ICO newsletter at innovatorscanlaugh.com where you can get the bio and details of each guest. Thanks.